0: Turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 29 I've got a lot of notes this morning i got two, two pages, am I on? Am I on now? Okay. I've got two pages of notes when I typically have one so I've got to cover some ground here. We're talking about Jacob's journey and we're looking at part two uh, this morning, which really covers parts of three different chapters. Uh, so, we're going to look at a big chunk. And if you're, if you're one of the folks that, that are not quite sure about your relationship with Jesus yet, you're thinking about it, you're exploring it, you're looking into it, um, uh, I, I hope that you hear what I got to say. But I really want to speak to the church people who are familiar with the gospel, familiar with how the Old Testament, New Testament jives together. I uh, really want to speak to that, and, we, and so we got to go a little bit deep. But of course what we want to do is relate it to our personal lives, those parts of our lives that are really close to us, really personal. So we're looking at types and shadows, and we're going to see a lot of those types and shadows in what we're looking at today. We've got to kind of use uh, our, our background knowledge of what we already know and put it together with what we're learning here. Uh, from Genesis. Really the story began with Jacob's mom. She looks around the community, the neighborhood and she says, I don't like these women. I don't like the culture here. I liked it better when we were back in Haran, but here, here we are here I just don't like What's going on? I don't want my son to marry one of these women. It's disgusting to me. So Isaac goes to Jacob and he says, Jacob, I want you to go back to Haran. I want you to go back and look up Uncle Laban. Laban's still back there. I'm, I'm sure he by now he's had some daughters. I want you to go back to Laban and see if there's any daughters back there that you can take as a wife. So the story is Jacob is on his journey. And that's where we're going to read the first portion of the scripture, uh, Genesis chapter 29 starting in verse 16. It says, Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure, and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. That's pretty encouraging, isn't it? (laughs) Stay here with me. In other words, work for me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. That'd be a great verse for a Valentine's Day card. You know, what will you do to get, to get your wife? What would you do to uh, have this woman as your partner? So this begins uh, an adventure that I'm um, I'm going to kind of unfold in a in a hurry an ap- application for us. Jacob gets to a well. He gets to Haran and he goes to the well. You know the, if you if you use your imagination, you can think of what it was like back in the old days. The a well would be a community place because everybody had to come to the well. They didn't have city water. Well, they didn't have a, a, a electric to pump it up, you know, so to dig that hole where you could tap into water in a dry place like the Holy Land, that's that water's significant. So everybody would come together to where the well was, draw water out of the well. And he saw some shepherds there, so he went to the shepherds and he said say, do you know a man named Laban? And they said, Oh yeah, we know who Laban is. As a matter of fact, here comes his daughter Rachel right now. And something inside of Jacob comes alive because he has just seen a divine appointment. He has just seen God put two things together at just the right time. This is what we call a coincidence, or in the church we say being led by the Spirit. When two things happen at the same time and it's way beyond coincidence. It's got to be the hand of God. So he goes to Rachel and he tells Rachel who he is and that they're cousins and she gets all excited and says, come home and meet my dad. So she takes him home to Laban and Laban's all excited. It's a family reunion. Everybody's excited that this has been connected together. Which takes us to the second part of the story. The first part is the divine appointment the Spirit. And let me just explain what I mean by the Spirit. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the patriarchal fathers. Abraham represents Father God. Isaac represents the Son, the Father who sacrifices the Son. So how does Jacob come into play? First assignment he's got is to go and seek out a wife. What does that make you think of? The Holy Spirit, His job is to seek out a bride. So the Holy Spirit, is, He's, He's after me. He's after you. The Holy Spirit was on my trail. He was, he was after me long before I made a decision to come to Christ. I look back and I can see these seeds being planted where He was after me. and He was after you long before you came to Christ. He never ceases going after us. This is the Spirit of God. So Jacob represents the Spirit here in this analogy. But when we get to the second point we see that now Jacob becomes a type of us. The church. The redeemed. Because the second part is the default position which is sin nature. All descendants of Adam and Eve have this thing in us that we call sin nature. Some people call it federal sin. It's just naturally inherent within us. The default position in every one of us, no matter how good we clean up on Sunday, is sin. We have the propensity to keep going back to our selfish, self-preserving ways again and again. It's natural. We need something supernatural to happen to us to deliver us from that. Somebody say amen. Amen. So he makes a deal with Laban, I will serve for seven years in exchange for your beautiful daughter's hand. Great. They shake hands on it, if they did that they did that. They had this verbal agreement. So for seven years Jacob serves Laban. He's over his flocks, he's over his herds, he takes care of the animals. And Laban likes it. Got a big smile on his face because he's getting richer by the day. Because Jacob is being blessed. Now Laban is a conniver. And don't you know that connivers deserve connivers? (laughs) Manipulators deserve manipulators. And Jacob was a conniver, a manipulator, a deceiver. So he gets deceived. And every time it looks like Jacob is getting blessed more than Laban, Laban changes the rules. He keeps changing the rules in the game. Jacob says later, ten times you changed my wages. Because Jacob was trying to manipulate so, or excuse me, Laban was trying to manipulate so he could get ahead. Jacob just wants to get his wife and go back home. He wants to get things reestablished because his longing is to go back home with family. So seven years later, it's time for the wedding. Oh, Laban throws a big reception. They've got this big marriage reception. It's an exciting thing. They kill the fatted calf, All the family and friends come in, they have this big banquet, everybody celebrates, they brought out the wine, everybody drank, everybody got feeling good, this is a merry party. After everybody had drunk their wine and celebrated, it's time for the wedding night. So Jacob takes his beautiful bride, all covered over as they did in the day with a veil, takes her into the bedchamber makes love to her. It's a glorious night. Next morning the sun comes up and he looks over there and he finds that the woman next to him is Leah, not Rachel, the one with the weak eyes. Not the beautiful Rachel. Jacob is ticked, jumps up out of that bed, charges over to Laban's house and said, what did you do to me? What did you do? We agreed for Rachel. And Laban says oh yeah, yeah, but you're not back home now. You're up here in our territory and it's our custom for the firstborn to be married before the next. So you get the oldest one, Leah. That's not what I wanted. I wanted Rachel. Laban says, okay. Serve, for me for, serve me for another seven years and you can have Rachel. So he's now in a contract agreement for another seven years. That's 14 years before he can go back home. Do you see the frustration in him? 14 years. Do you know how long 14 years is? <laughs> Let me refresh your memory. 14 years ago, George W. Bush was just beginning his second term as president. 14 years ago, the first YouTube video was posted. 14 years ago was the year that Hurricane Katrina swept through the Gulf Coast and took out a thousand lives. 14 years ago, somebody came up with this brand new word sexting. First time. 14 years ago. That's ancient history. We've seen all that come and go 14 years is a big chunk out of your life It's a big chunk out of his life So Jacob loved Rachel And after 14 years he's now got Rachel as his wife as well. And, and we begin to see the story unfold of his family developing And here's what's happened Here's what happens, and I'll try to expedite this. Leah conceives and has a son. Rachel did not, but Leah has a son and named him Reuben. And when she named him Reuben she says, surely my husband will love me now. You see what's going on in her heart on the inside? Son number two comes, that's Simeon. And then she says, because the Lord heard that I am not loved. You see the sin nature the fallen nature happening here. Then Levi is born Leah has all these kids. Levi is born and then she says now at last my husband will be attached to me and finally Judah is born and Leah says this time I will praise the Lord she has just given up. She's never going to feel loved by Jacob. She just gives up and says I'm just going to let the Lord love me. I'm just going to enjoy His love for me. Which is that's, that, that's the position we should have but the default position is always being hurt. It's always being offended. It's always feeling like I'm not good enough. It's always feeling on the weak side, the losing end of things. That's the default position, the sin nature. Oh God, deliver us from this sin nature problem. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now Rachel gets jealous of Leah having all these sons. And Rachel realizes she's not having any children so she takes her maidservant Bilhah and gives her to Jacob and says I want you to go in to my servant Bilhah. So he has a relationship with Bilhah and she has Dan and then she has Naphtali. Then Leah gets jealous. So she takes her servant Zilpah and gives Zilpah to Jacob so that she can have children. And Zilpah has Gad and Asher. And then Leah conceives and has Issachar and Zebulun and finally Rachel who Jacob really loves has a child, and they name him Joseph. That's 11 kids, there's another one to come, but that's where we're going to stop with the story of the children. And I'm thinking to myself, this is embarrassing. <laughs> Israel, the, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He's the five, these are the children of Israel. This is God's promised kids. And it's dysfunction four mothers and Jacob is shuttling back and forth from one to the other all these women in competition with each other all wanting to be loved and none of them feeling that love can you see the agony of a fallen world as it's portrayed to us it's the default position if we don't have something from the outside to help us, we're all going down this dysfunctional road. I need a savior. I need a deliverer. So four mothers, and we see four problems coming out of this that marriages have to deal with. The first one is unrealistic expectations. Jacob woke up and realized this is not what I thought it was going to be. It's a picture of marriage today. We get married and we have these Hollywood ideas and this is what marriage is going to be and we wake up the first morning with a rude awakening. Oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Come on, it's okay to say amen, don't leave me up here all by myself here. And we learn that a man can never satisfy his wife's craving to be loved. He tries but she always wants more. The second thing we see in the story is in-law problems. Laban The father-in-law who loves his daughters, wants to take care of his daughters, but he gives them away, but he won't give them away. He says here, you can can have my daughter as your wife, but he won't let go. He keeps manipulating, he keeps arranging because he loves his daughters. Isn't that the temptation we all have to struggle with? I don't want to see my kids go through this, the pain that I went through. I want to step in, I want to fix it, I want to resolve it. And when we're going to give them away, we need to get out of the way and let them solve their own problems just the way you solved yours. That's good. That's and then we see the third, the third area is this area of competition. These wives competition with one another. If you, if you, I didn't take the time to read it but if you go back and see they're, they're actually manipulating one another because they want to have another child. It's this competition. We live in a very competitive world That's right. and the grass always looks greener on the other side. And if us Christians aren't careful we are going to fall into the sin trap. Here in this world So the default position is sin, and to go the other way from what God has intended and to have chaos. And there's five areas I want to go over real quickly that are areas where it's the default for position for us to fall into these things. The first one is affairs. I'm married. I have a spouse, I have a husband or I have a wife, I've made a commitment to them, my family and friends all saw that, but you know they're just not meeting my need. There's something on the inside that's not being satisfied. I've got to find some way, some avenue, some way to get that need met. So maybe if I find somebody else I'll get that need met. God can't bless that. That's that's the devil's way, that is not God's way. Here's a, a second way, is prostitutes. We know what prostitutes are, that's, that's someone who sells their body for money and there are always dysfunctional people out there who's, who, who are missing something on the inside and they'll do whatever it takes to get this hunger, this, this need met on the inside even violating what we know displeases God. And if you pursue a relationship with a dysfunctional person, guess what you get? Yeah. <clears throat> Dysfunction. It comes right back around again. God can't bless it. The third area, then, it's the default position, is pornography. If we, if we don't have what we think we need inside the marriage relationship, we'll find some pictures, some images, some videos someplace of our fantasy right in front of us. It's not real. We're really not touching someone else, but it becomes fantasy in my mind and I'm having an affair in my mind and I'm watching these images and getting excited so that I can make love to myself. There's something wrong with that picture that's not the way God designed it but it's the default position for sinners in a sinful world the fourth area is homosexuality I'm I'm learning it's just I, I I can't figure a woman out I can't figure out how they think women can't figure out how guys think it's just so hard dealing with somebody that's the opposite of me Maybe it would just be easier if I had a loving relationship with somebody who was like me and understood what I needed and what I wanted and take away that that oppositeness. But that's not the way God created us. That's not His original design. But it's the default position for people in a sinful world that haven't dealt with their sin. Oh, but they can't help it. They were born that way. Absolutely. We were all born sinners. We were all born selfish. We were all born dysfunctional. It's the default position on planet Earth. We need to be born again. We need a spiritual renewal. And then the fifth area I want to point out is shame and withholding. And that's the dysfunctional area that the church often embraces. Oh, we, we, we can't talk about sex, this is church. You know they begin sex education in the public schools in the 6th grade. They're hearing about it and before they have sex education in the 6th grade, did you know they're learning about it from their friends? <coughs> from their community? I did, that's where I learned it. I think we need to look at this from God's perspective shame and withholding I, there's something shameful about my body I'm glad we covered up this morning but if you're in a marriage relationship you need to understand that there is this, this deliverance that takes us back to God's original creation when Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed, I want to get that back again. Amen. The only way I can do that is in a commitment relationship with my wife. That's good, Pastor. Somebody say amen. Because <laughs> when you look at me blank like I feel like I'm up here all alone. <laughs> Before we move to the third area here I want us to see is Uh, There there are two aspects of the Abrahamic covenant that God gave to Abraham and then renewed to Isaac, and if you remember last week he gave it again to Jacob. There's more than two, but two I want us to, to, to look at. Number one, your seed will be multiplied. It's going to be like the sand of the sea, like the stars in the sky. You have a future. This is not about you, it's about your future. Get involved in the channel. Get involved in the blessing. Get involved in that. Your seed's going to be multiplied. And the second part of that is you're going to be blessed to be a blessing. That we could say is prosperity. God's going to prosper us so that we can be a blessing to someone else, so that it can be a channel so that we can pass that on to someone else. If we put those two together we see a new message coming out of this. God wants to prosper him. We just looked at the Dysfunction problem. It's dysfunction on planet Earth. When you you drive through your neighborhood of your own community and you look at the neighbors, you should expect to see dysfunction because it's the default position. When I was growing up, it was it was different in our culture. If 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 a marriage failed and they went through divorce, it was scandalous. Today we've accepted it. We've accepted the dysfunction and we've lost the desire to get the freedom back that God intended in the first place. So here's where I want to go to chapter 30, Genesis 30 and look at verse uh, 37. Jacob however making a deal with Laban "'Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees "'and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark "'and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. "'Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs "'so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. "'When the flocks were in heat,' and came to drink they mated in front of the branches and they bare young ones that were streaked or speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves but made the rest face the streaked and dark colored animals that belonged to Laban thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals interesting story being unfolded here and if you're looking for that third section you can write in the word dream council. The solution. There's solution here. <clears throat> Laban finally agrees to a deal when Jacob comes to him and he says, I'll tell you what, I want to go back, I want to take my wives, my children, of course it's his grandchildren now, I want to take my family back home again and reclaim what, what I have back there. I'll tell you what, I know that you value the white lambs, pure white, and the goats and the cattle. You ta- of all the cattle that are born, you take the pure ones. Give me the splotched ones, the streaked ones, the striped ones, the black sheep, the blemished ones. Give me those. I'll take those. Are we seeing the story here? I'll take. I'll take the ones you don't want. And Laban says, "Sounds like a good deal." And then Jacob, being wise, took Laban's pure sheep and put them over here together. And then he took the splotched, streaked, striped black sheep, and he took those over here and put them together. And then he did this amazing thing, he, he went out and he cut down some saplings and made a pole and he brought those up and he made some, with a knife he made some notches at the top, grabbed a hold of the bark and pulled it down. Made a white stripe because you know bark on the inside is lighter than on the outside. And he went around to the next one, pulled that down went around to the next one, pulled that down. So he's got stripes. Dark and white, dark and white. Took these saplings, these poles that were now striped and put them in the water trough so when the animals came to drink, and you know they would do that, they would graze whatever they could find to eat, and then they would go into this community well to drink. And when they when they came together, that's when they made it. So he put these striped poles in the water so that when they made it they would have to look at the stripes on the pole. Can you make the connection? We're talking about it represents the cross. They have to apply the cross. First Peter chapter 2 verse 24 says, says this, Who this is Jesus, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So what happened to the sapling when he cut it down? It died. Once you sever the, the wood from the trunk, the sap can no longer come up. The tree dies. He puts stripes on it. That represents punishment. Stripe, stripes in the Bible always talks about being whipped, being flogged. He was, Jesus was flogged, went to the cross. I believe the pole with stripes on it represents the cross. Christ crucified. Amen. If we apply the cross which represents selflessness, giving up your own selfishness, giving up your own desires doing what God asks you to do instead of what you want to do when you take the selfish approach and apply the cross to our lives the dysfunction of the world melts away Hallelujah. Amen. Glory. Good work. <laughs> I'm excited I've never seen this before these two stories of God of God prospering him with children in a dysfunctional way and God showing him how to find prosperity in the earth, they fit together. One story back to back with the other one. Amen. Now one more thing I want to show you before we, we leave here because we're about done. In chapter 31 Laban is now frustrated because he sees the striped and streaked uh, sheep and goats and cattle are multiplying so much faster than the pure ones over here. And so Jacob keeps getting richer and richer and Laban's staying the same. Can't seem to get ahead. And finally gives him permission to go back home. Take what you got, go back home. So Jacob gets Rachel and Leah, you know they've never seen back home. They don't know what this is. They're giving up everything they know. This is scary. So he gets them together and he tells them this story in uh, chapter 31 verse 10. He says to them, in breeding season I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. He tells them the story of, how, of, of what God has been doing in his life. He needs to get them aboard so that they can share the vision of going back home again as a blessing Amen. and not a loss, a gain, not a loss. And he tells them this was a dream, this is the second dream Jacob has had we're looking at the three dreams in this series, and he saw it was the speckled and streaked and blemished lambs that were prospering. So Jacob did that creative breeding by separating them out, but we know enough about genetics today that there's no way a striped pole in front of their eyes is going to generate striped sheep. We understand genetics don't work that way. But what I do understand is if we'll apply the cross that's what makes the difference. That's when God prospers us. Whether it's pure or streaked, or splotched or black. So no matter what your background is, I got good news for you. God wants to bless you. Jacob represents in this story a church. The church getting blessed so that we can be a blessing. Not not, Not so we got good comfortable retirement, but so we can bless somebody else. Okay, let's stand. I got one minute left. This is the word this is the word of God. If you can receive it, receive it. Apply the cross and watch God's blessing flow into your life. Lord I want to pray right now. Lord I came out here today with fear and trembling because I wasn't sure how this message would be received. God's the message you put in my heart, you taught me and now Father you've asked me to pass it on. So Father we've given the word. Allow us to walk in it and receive it if we can, so that we can prosper, so that we can be a, a blessing to someone else. Work with us, we pray. And Lord, I want to. I want to pray for dysfunctional relationships because I know well enough it's the default position. Even spirit-filled Christians fall back into these things. It's it the default position. Father, help us to come out of the default position and download this new program you have through your Spirit into us. Give us a hunger to do things your way because when we do it your way you prosper it and you will bless every aspect of our lives. So bless us with this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.